my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Advent, and therefore a new year in the life of the church, is upon us. We come together on the heels of the glorious celebration of Christ the King and begin anew to wait and hope and prepare for the coming of Christ into the world, God incarnate. I must admit that I've, I've struggled with these readings over the past few weeks. The glory of the house of the Lord that Isaiah paints so beautifully seems so distant when we experience hate like our brothers and sisters at St. David's, or when we see a woman chased down and harassed simply because she has an IYG license plate on her car. Our brothers and sisters in Standing Rock, desperate to protect their sacred lands and water supply, are shot with rubber bullets, blasted with water cannons despite freezing temperatures, and hit with grenades. All the while, access to proper medical treatment is blocked by law enforcement. We live in a challenging time, and these readings challenge us. So the other night, I was waiting to meet with the vestry at Holy Family up in Fishers. I happened to get there early. It provided me with an opportunity to actually be still and pray for a bit. Like many in our world today, finding time to truly dedicate to prayer can be challenging. So I took it. I suppose that may sound surprising coming from a seminarian, um, but the reality is that's the way it is all too often. So it took me a bit to, to calm myself between the events of the last few weeks, an upcoming class that I had in Chicago, these readings, my mind was just swirling. So in prayer, sometimes I, I become very aware of my surroundings, but on that night, the cross that I wear on my neck was where my mind landed. It felt heavy. I could feel it rubbing against my chest. You see, this cross was a gift from a person whose name I do not even know. He's an employee at a large church outside of Philadelphia. And I met him when I was part of our diocesan contingent to EYE, the Episcopal Youth Event, which was held in Philly in the summer of 2014. We visited his church on a tour of historic churches around the city. And what was amazing was this church looks like a small countryside English village that is transplanted into what now looks like a war zone. This town had been one of the wealthiest suburbs of Philadelphia back in the 19th century, and they built a church that could pass like it looks like it's on the Vatican grounds. There are Tiffany stained glass windows all throughout the sanctuary. Um, they're worth millions, including this giant rose window. The softness of the colors, the artistry of the designs, truly breathtaking. It's one of the most beautiful and amazing sanctuaries that I've ever personally seen in an Episcopal church. In addition, they have an endowment that is so large, they can pay for the dozen or so staff members they have, pay for the upkeep on this historic church complex, and pay their clergy in perpetuity without ever receiving another dollar in pledge. Yet their average Sunday attendance averages between 12 and 15 people. 
So this cross was a group of one, or excuse me, was one of a group that was made for a mission team that the church sponsored to go to Guatemala. It's the only one they had left. So this gentleman wanted someone to take it to remember the good work that the church had done. I happened to be the last in line to board the bus. Every once in a while there's some uh, additional things you get for chaperoning, right? Uh, so he handed it to me. It's made of brass and it has the Greek word ecclesia inscribed on, the, inscribed on the side. I can't help but also remember another church that we visited, which is right down the street. You see the predominantly white church with the beautiful sanctuary had planted a church for the African-American community on the other side of town. It looks like a one-room schoolhouse. But the entire basement functions as a food pantry, and the line goes down the block on the nights of the week that it's open to serve the tremendous needs of the community where the majority struggle just to have food on the table. Now, I, I continue to wear this cross because it reminds me of the relationships that have developed and what I experienced in Philadelphia both that summer and the next summer when we took our own youth group back to serve at many of the same ministries through the Episcopal Mission Center. It reminds me of the Free Church of St. John, which is in Kensington, also one of the poorest areas in Philadelphia. And they have this amazing city camp there that provides a safe place for school-aged children to be during the summer. It reminds me of St. James School that provides a private education to students who would otherwise likely never even make it out of high school. And instead, it prepares them with an education on par with the expensive private schools in the area. I experienced some really amazing ministries. I met some really amazing people. And all of that's represented by this little, small, golden brown cross. So as I continued to pray, I became more aware of the feeling of the cross on my chest. The color has changed over the years. Uh, the edges and back have gotten worn. They've become more golden. And it's look a little more nuanced. It rises and falls with my breathing. It just slowly rubs on my skin. My own breathing has produced that golden color. And my experiences have changed it, just as those experiences have changed me. So I can now see the, the basement of this multi-million dollar church. So we went down to the basement, so the vicar, who's a, a wonderful retired Englishman, uh, he served the parish for about three years at that point, he showed us that that's where the Presbyterians meet. And it took him a little over a year to convince the vestry to allow them to use that space. But this Presbyterian congregation used to meet down the street and they'd seen their building burned down. Their presbytery, kind of like our diocese, had decided to shut them down instead of trying to help them to rebuild. They were barely self-sufficient before the building burned down. Now there was no way that they'd be able to support the mission of the congregation and the cost of a new building especially in a neighborhood where most of the buildings are vacant, many need to be condemned. Now, they were able to meet in the basement of this church for worship, VBS. They weren't allowed to meet in the sanctuary. So this retired vicar, he continues to work to prepare his congregation to be more open to those who would never have set foot into their sanctuary before and to see the incarnate Christ in them, despite their racial and socioeconomic differences. I also am reminded of the, the deacon in charge of that African-American Episcopal congregation down the street who mentioned that this particular vicar also presides at her parish twice a month 
so she can continue to lead the congregation as a deacon and to ensure that they celebrate the Eucharist despite the fact that they can't afford supply clergy. It's just a beautiful example of a complicated relationship that continues to stretch each party so they all grow, learn from each other, and delve deeper into that mystery of faith. So I'm drawn back to the edge of the cross and the inscription, ecclesia. It's one of those Greek words that can be complicated to translate. And please note, I'm not a Greek scholar. Let's just get that out there. I've heard it translated as the church or community. But my understanding is a little different. Covenantal community. Paul may not explicitly mention that in this reading from Romans, but I think that's what he's actually talking about in this larger section of the letter, roughly chapters 12 to 15. He's describing how to be a covenantal community with each other. Boy, does it feel like we really need to talk about that now in our country. All members have different functions, but they're equally important with gifts that differ, but they're all required for the community to function. Our love for each other should be genuine. We should bless those who persecute us, rejoice with those who rejoice, and weep with those who weep. If your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. Love your neighbor as yourself is the summary of the whole law and the basic building block of Ecclesia for Paul. And obviously it sounds so familiar because we hear that echoed throughout the gospels as well. And for me, that's what becomes so challenging for Paul and in Jesus' parable about our, in our gospel today. On the surface, these communities, the ones before the flood and those in Jesus' time, they're doing exactly what we would expect them to do, right? And yet, the relationships are torn apart, seemingly without warning. How do you prepare for your relationships to be severed completely? Now, over the last few weeks, the divides in our own community have become very apparent, and it's felt like many of our own relationships have become strained and even severed. It seems next to impossible to talk to someone who's labeled as having a different view than our own, or that they're outside of our own social circle. As Christians, we're called to work towards a covenantal community that protects the marginalized, provides justice for the widow and the orphan, and all those who would naturally be excluded from the community. In other words, to love them fiercely. Maybe we've heard that before, and it rings here true today. But Paul and Jesus, they're both very clear that this fierce love applies to those who would persecute us as well. Now, just to be clear, this does not mean that we allow ourselves to be degraded, by no means. In fact, standing up for ourselves and those who are degraded or the victims of violence and oppression is showing fierce love to the oppressors. So is building relationships with those with whom we disagree so we can truly understand who they are and how we can share the light of Christ with them. It is only through love that we can affect change from violence and oppression. St. Paul reminds us that we're closer to the moment of salvation now than we were, and we know the hope that comes with the coming of Christ. So my friends, while Advent is about waiting and hoping, we are also challenged to prepare. 
prepare for what lies ahead of us, prepare for the mission that we are called for, prepare to enact that fierce love that is so needed in our community, both with those with whom we, dis with whom we agree and with those with whom we disagree. It's okay if that preparation looks a little different for each one of us than the person sitting next to us. It should, but be awake and prepare for while we know not when Christ will come again, we trust in the hope that we will have the courage and the perseverance to fulfill our own individual and communal missions to prepare the world for that moment. Ecclesia, covenantal community. It springs forth from our shared mission together and the love that we share together. So I continue to wear this slightly tarnished, slightly golden brown cross because it provides a daily reminder to me of what community is. It comes from relationships with those who are like us and from those who are different. Like the changing colors from the rubbing of the brass, community changes over time with new relationships, new dynamics. The shape reminds us that Christ must be our focus for the community to flourish. It also reminds me of that wonderful English vicar and his pursuit of mission and justice. Prepare to love fiercely, my friends. Our community needs the light of Christ. And it's okay if we take some time in prayer to be ready for that next phase of our mission. In fact, it's an expected and wonderful part of the journey. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.